Support for Eagles Enemies is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. And that's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released the new and improved Lawnmower 2.0, very similar to how we hope Howie Roseman has sat down with this Eagles front office and constructed the ultimate roster. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to advanced skin safe technology pioneered by Manscaped. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes. So you can take a longer, you can shave for the duration of one and a half football games. That simple. The waterproof technology allows you to groom in the shower. One of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. They've also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology that's about as fast as the Eagles wide receivers will be running down the field all season long catching passes from Carson Wentz. And let's not forget about the charging stand. Show your mower off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by the simple USB. If you are listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Trim that junk of yours and get 20% off and free shipping with the code USP at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Like I said, get 20% off and free shipping with the code USP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And use the code USP. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get into Season 3, Episode 1 of Eagles Enemies. Presented by Underground Sports, Philadelphia. Reach out, it could be better than a fantasy. I got my levels out of place last night was a long one Looking for a quick fix, looking for a shortcut But if I want a game plan for the long run What do I bring to the table, said dumb luck There's a good chance the last thing I pick up Will show up in my sleep and crash all my dreams With some shit I won't repeat Cause it's not what I'm proud of Some heaviness, some pettiness, some things I'm ashamed of Alright Eagles fans, I don't know about you But this team seems pretty much dead in the water right now and I'm sure they'll go on a run here during this rough stretch of the season because it's exactly the type of season the Eagles have had. Welcome in to another edition of Eagles Enemies right here on Underground Sports Philadelphia. KB with you from Underground Studios and joining me this week as the birds get set to take on the Browns, the one and only Dan Lab. What's going on, man? Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. Uh, and for those of you that don't know, Dan covers the Browns for Cleveland.com. Got to go right to the source where the Browns are from. So uh, let's get started with today's big news as we record this on Friday. 
Uh, Miles Garrett placed on the COVID-19 reserve list will not play in Sunday's game. Obviously, it's a big deal because he's kind of the anchor of the defense, but to not have Miles Garrett in this game, how much does it change the way that the Browns kind of approach this this matchup on the defensive side of things? It's really enormous. I mean, Miles Garrett is a defensive player of the year candidate. Uh, you know, I mean, look, there's some people in, in Brownstown that want to make a case that he could be an MVP candidate. Uh, I'm not quite there yet, but he's certainly the best player on this football team. And he deserves all the defensive player of the year accolades that, that he's getting right now. So this defense starts and ends with Miles Garrett. He has become kind of the master of strip sacks. And, you know, I was looking at Carson Wentz just thinking this could be a game where Miles could get another one or two of those if, if he's holding on to the football. So everything starts with Miles Garrett. And beyond him, they just haven't been able to generate much pass rush. And this defense has been very vulnerable. So, uh, I, you know, I kind of look at this defense as having three defenders. It's Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward, and then Ronnie Harrison, a safety that they acquired from Jacksonville. And they just lost one of those three players, and he's probably the biggest of the three. And, I mean, coming into the season, it seemed like so many people were so high on this Browns defense, and I don't know if it was just from the the changing of the guard of no more Freddie Kitchens and his coaching staff in place, but a lot of people were very excited about this Browns defense. And outside of Miles Garrett, like you said, kind of being the anchor, a lot of people – seem to think this Browns defense is really really good but they're not what I think a lot of people had expectations for coming into the season am I wrong there no you're right and and I think if you just look at the last two weeks it's going to be really misleading too because they gave up 16 against Oakland and then they only gave up seven against Houston but the weather here was just awful I mean nobody could throw the football in those games uh, it was just, you know, the Browns got to 10 points against Houston and it felt like that was going to be insurmountable, which it ultimately was. So th those numbers have been misleading. And the reality is in the offseason, they didn't put a ton of resources into the defense. They decided to keep Olivier Vernon on the other end of miles. The biggest investment they made was they drafted Grant Delpit in the second round. Uh, but then he tore his Achilles in training camp. So they aren't going to get to see their really their biggest investment on defense uh, until we get to next year. So uh, that really hurt. Safety has been really vulnerable. Linebacker has been really vulnerable. And, uh, you know, Greedy Williams hasn't been on the field either at the other corner. He's been out all season with a, a nerve injury in his shoulder. So uh, they're, they're banged up and, and they just haven't been very effective outside of Garrett. And you look at, you know, this defense overall, you said Olivier Vernon, and I think he was a guy that a lot of, you know, Browns fans and a lot of people around the NFL were expecting to, you know, continue to roll and, and be that one-two punch, you know, with him and Miles Garrett. What has his season been like, and has it really paid off for, for the Browns to have kept him? Well, he didn't get a sack even until he uh, until they played Las Vegas a couple of weeks ago, and he had two sacks in that game, and that was sort of like – I guess you could call it a breakout game, but the reality is Vernon just hasn't quite lived up uh, to what the Browns were hoping when they made the trade for him. He was part of that Odell Beckham deal uh, a couple off seasons ago, and he just hasn't lived up to that. And, you know, I do think the Browns kicked the tires on a guy like Jadavian Clowney. I think they were interested in Yannick Ngakwe when he was getting traded around a little bit. Uh, I know they put in a claim for Tack McKinley, but they just haven't been able to get to him. So I, I think it's a position they want to upgrade, uh, but the reality is it's got to be Vernon. You know, he's the big money guy across from Miles Garrett. It, it's got to be him making the plays, and he just hasn't really done it. And, I mean, you you bring up Jadavion Clowney and everything, and I'm interested because there was that story that circulated 
you know, throughout the whole time that Clowney was a free agent, you know, that there was a potential, you know, sign and trade where he gets traded or he signs with Cleveland, gets traded to the Saints. Was there any truth to that rumor from what you know? You know, I don't know if there's any truth to that one, but it honestly wouldn't surprise me one bit if that's something the Browns were thinking of doing because their GM uh, is a guy Philly fans probably remember. His his name's Andrew Barry. Yep. Uh, he was in Philly for a year after he spent time in Cleveland, and, and he came up under Sashi Brown. And Sashi Brown, if, if people remember the Brock Osweiler trade the Browns made where they, they called up the Houston Texans and said, you know, we'll take Brock Osweiler's contract off your hands, but you got to give us a second-round pick. And that second round pick eventually became Nick Chubb. So it, it worked out pretty well. And that's sort of how Andrew Barry thinks about things. He's got a little bit of a NBA GM in him, I think. And, and you see him try and, and maneuver some deals like that. I totally agree. And I think he's he's in a good spot for you know where he's at now because I think he's going to do a lot of good for the Browns. But you look at, at this Browns team, and I think they're at a, a better place than a lot of people anticipated them being right now. I believe they're at 6-3. and three. Um, And I mean – I think the biggest question still a lot of people have about this team is the quarterback position with Baker Mayfield. He's, he's up and down. Um, you know, what has kind of been the, you know, the heat check on Baker Mayfield this season? He, he probably played his best game as a Brown uh, against Cincinnati. He probably played his best game the week after he played his worst game. Uh, he, he went to Pittsburgh and it was just a disaster there through a pick six uh, on his first pass of the game. Uh, then comes to Cincinnati, starts 0 for 5, and then completes 21 of 22 passes to to win that football game. And the one incompletion w- was a spike to stop the clock. So he, he was great against Cincinnati. You know, look, it is just the Bengals, but, y- you know, you play who's in front of you. So I think the hope was to maybe see if he could seize a little momentum going against Las Vegas, going against Houston, Philadelphia. You know, the schedule is really favorable for the Browns o- over the next month and a half here. But unfortunately because of the conditions, because of the wind. He couldn't really throw the football. Like I said, no, nobody could throw the football. I mean, even Deshaun Watson was struggling to throw the football last week. And so we just haven't been able to see if he could seize some of that momentum that he got in Cincinnati. So uh, I'm looking forward to this game because, you know, the pass rush has sort of been his kryptonite a little bit. And uh, when he's played really good pass rushes, he's struggled. So I want to see what he can do uh, against this Philadelphia pass rush on a day that might be rainy. Uh, but probably isn't going to be as windy as what we've seen. I hope Jim Schwartz actually just shows up because that would be a, a first step for for the Eagles and this defense right now. Um, let's get into Odell Beckham Jr. a little bit because obviously he's out for the season now with with the uh, the injury and everything. But it, it just seems like it hasn't been the the perfect fit that I think the Browns wanted when they made the trade for him. What's your read on, you know, the whole Odell situation? Do you think he'll be back next year? And why do you think it's kind of been this like up and down, you know, relationship between Odell and the Browns and just finding success? It it has been really strange. I I mean, when John Dorsey made that trade, there were literally people in Cleveland dancing in the streets and like setting off fireworks. It It was such a symbolic trade for this franchise that things had finally turned. And then uh, obviously they had that disaster of a season where they went six and 10 and, uh, you know, he was banged up. He was hurt. And then this year we saw flashes, but it, it still was never fully there. Him and Baker on the same page. I think a part of it is Baker's kind of a precision timing quarterback. That's really when he's at his best. And Odell is a little bit of a freelancer. And I think sometimes because of that, they haven't always been on the same page, but I will say I do think just having Odell on the field is really important. 
right? That's such great insight. But what he does to stretch the field, this team doesn't really have another field stretcher. And, you know, again, maybe it was the weather, but maybe it was because Odell wasn't there. And and even though they were successful running the ball, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt both faced more eight-man boxes on Sunday than they had all year. Uh, so I'm curious to see how this kind of develops over time. If, if we start seeing teams really stack the box and dare the Browns to try and find a downfield threat, and one of these guys are going to try and throw out there. Now, do you think that that could, you know, obviously with the weather that there was last week in that Browns and uh, Texans game definitely played a part, but do you think that is more, now there's so much film on the Browns from this season of what Stefanski is trying to do and trying to kind of replicate what he had in Minnesota and just, you know, being a run first mentality team, teams are starting to be like, hey, we need to, you know, kind of stack the box and and prevent, you know, Nick Chubb and, and Kareem Hunt from being that first option and force, you know, Baker Mayfield to, to beat us. Yeah, I, I think that's a combination uh, because, again, Baker Mayfield hasn't proved it yet. There, there are still questions about what he can do. So if I'm a defensive coordinator, uh, I'm going to say that I want to stop the run because everything the Browns do, even in the pass game, is based off the run. You know, Baker is better in play action. He's better out of big personnel. He's he's better on bootlegs. All of that stuff revolves around being able to run the football and, and defense is respecting the run. And you're automatically going to respect that when it's Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt in the backfield. But you're also going to try and make sure that those guys don't beat you. And teams haven't been successful at that yet. Somebody at some point is going to figure it out and make Baker Mayfield try to beat them. And that's when we're really going to find out kind of what what Mayfield has done this season to progress. To have that one-two punch of Chubb and Hunt this season perform the way that they have, obviously Nick Chubb coming back from injury last week, but when they're on the field together and, and just running like a two-headed monster like they have, is this kind of the expectation that, you know, you guys have had for this Browns team knowing, you know, the mentality that Kevin Stefanski has, you know, coaching-wise? Yeah, but when they hired Stefanski and you dug into what he did, and, and you mentioned it a little bit, you know, with Minnesota, such a run-heavy scheme, uh, loves tight ends, loves, full, loves fullbacks, you kind of knew, okay, this thing is going to be built around Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, and they go out and pay Austin Hooper a bunch of money. We knew what this offense was going to look like before we even saw it take a snap. And I think it just speaks to Stefanski because, you know, Freddie Kitchens last year, there were games where, for whatever reason, he just didn't hand the ball to Nick Chubb. There was a game against Cincinnati who had the worst run defense in the league. And Nick Chubb had three carries in the first half. And that, that's, <laughs> that's how you get, that's how you get to six and 10. Uh, what Stefanski is doing is sometimes really basic. It's understanding who his best players are and figuring out ways to get them the football. And, and it's not always just, you know, straight up turn and hand it off. He gets creative. He does different things, but he understands this team's at its best in a run-heavy scheme, and, and that's what he did in Minnesota, and that's what he's doing here. And I'm sure Austin Hooper is thrilled that he you know, secured his bag, got his money and everything, <laughs> but has he been a disappointment, You know, for lack of a better term, obviously not being you know, the all-star kind of receiving tight end that I think a lot of people kind of come to know him has later on, you know, later on when he was in Atlanta? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the numbers aren't where you want him to be. I, I don't know if I'd call him a disappointment just yet. He didn't miss a, he didn't miss a couple games. He had an appendectomy, uh, so, so that kind of slowed him down. He just came back last week. But, you know, look, the numbers aren't what you expect when you pay a guy that much money. So, so in that regard, yeah, you'd have to say he's a disappointment. Now, the other side of that is he's been willing to kind of do what they want him to do. So he's been a willing blocker. He, he's been willing to uh, – 
you know, do exactly what they need him to do in the run game. And Kevin Stefanski had high praise for him a couple weeks ago. Uh, you know, Kevin is pretty even keel when he talks to us, but uh, he, he kind of perked up when somebody brought up Austin Hooper's production and, and he pointed out how good he's been uh, in the run game and, and doing what they've asked of him. So statistically, yeah, disappointment. And they're going to need more out of him because if they're going to stretch the field, it, it might start by creating some seam routes or some downfield throws for Austin Hooper to cause some problems. How many Browns fans do you typically have asking you if Jarvis Landry can play quarterback instead of Baker Mayfield? <laughs> it's it's always a topic, especially <laughs> especially when they let him throw the football. The, the old lefty Jarvis Landry. I'm, and you know what? I'm sure Jarvis would never say it, but I, I'm sure he would love it if Kevin Stefanski came to him and said, hey, I want you to play quarterback in this game. <laughs> not, not because of Baker, but because that's just who Jarvis is. How how fun of a guy is Jarvis Landry? Because he just seems like a joy to be able to, you know, just have a conversation with and just like a good teammate all around. How has he been, you know, throughout his time with the Cleveland Browns since coming over from Miami? You know, he came to Cleveland with, with sort of a, a reputation. And, and I've never gotten a chance. I, like, I've never seen that, right? I've, I've seen a guy that is happy to be in Cleveland. Of course, look, he got paid as, as soon as they traded him. That always helps. He got a huge contract. But, you know, he's happy to be here. He's really taken on a leadership role. Anytime you talk to a, another wide receiver on the team and you ask, like, who are the guys in that wide receiver room that are kind of taking you under their wing and, and teaching you guys? And Jarvis is the first name that comes up. And, you know, just as an aside, so does Odell Beckham, who who kind of sort of similarly came to Cleveland with a little bit of a reputation and uh, has been a mostly model citizen, at least as far as being a teammate goes. So, you know, Jarvis is just super competitive. You're, you're going to have moments where, you know, he's frustrated or he, you know, last year he got into it a couple times with the coaching staff. Uh, that, that's sort of who Jarvis is. But the thing he's really good at is kind of putting it behind him, moving on. And, and that's something that this Browns franchise needs. It's just a guy that's super competitive, win at all costs, and, and can be a leader in that locker room. Has uh, Kevin Stefanski kind of had this game circled a bit, obviously with his Philly ties, his dad being the former GM of the Sixers and everything? Is this a game that, you know, has seemed like he's been, you know, kind of excited about? You know what? I don't know if I've ever seen Kevin Stefanski excited, to be honest. <laughs> he's just, I mean, he is like flatlined all the time. It's it's really impressive. You cannot rattle the guy. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure he's interested. I'm sure if the game were in Philly, it, it would mean a little more to him. I, I had a chance after they hired him to go to Philly at, at the high school he went to uh, and talk to some people there. And I know that, you know, this was before COVID hit. They were hoping to maybe make a road trip to Cleveland for this one. So I'm sure if, if there were more more of his family and friends maybe coming to Cleveland to see this game, he'd be excited about it. But he, he's very much one game at a time you know, one step forward at a time. So if, if he is excited about it, he hasn't let us know. How much of a just overall culture change was it going from Freddie Kitchens to Kevin Stefanski? I, I mean, it, it was night and day. Everything is organized. Everything happens <laughs> on time, uh, on the field, off the field. You know, everything felt a little bit divisive at times under Freddie kitchens, you know, John Dorsey did that, did that a little bit. He brought in Todd Munkin to be the offensive coordinator. And those two guys just never meshed, you know, Kevin Stefanski came in, hired a really great staff, including Bill Callahan as the offensive line coach. I, I know he leans on, on Bill Callahan a lot and he's really taken on that CEO mentality. He is the play caller, uh, but he's not just here to be an offensive coordinator. He's here 
to be a leader, to be to be a CEO. And this organization just needed someone to call to come in and calm the waters a little bit because there's always just so much chaos spinning around it. And so far, obviously a very small sample size. So far, Kevin Stefanski has been able to do that in a year when really he's been presented with challenges like we haven't seen before. Yeah, and I mean, it, it just seems like the team rallies around him, too. It seems like they want to play for him. It's not a lot of, you know, negative body language on the field, and it, it just seems like he's really flipped the script in such a short amount of time. Yeah, and, you know, the message, too, is so on point. You don't have guys going off the rails. You, you don't have, uh, you know, his, his motto this year has been, uh, all bite and no bark. And I think that's a direct shot at what they were leading into 2019 when it was all hype. And then they came out and laid an egg. Uh, now, look, some of it is because we're not in the locker room anymore after games. We're not in the locker room during the week. We're talking to these guys on Zoom. There's incredibly limited access. But when we have had access to people, when we have, when we have had access to coaches and players, everything is on point and all the T's are crossed, all, all the I's are dotted. And uh, it, it really starts, I think, with Kevin Stefanski. And, you know, I think Andrew Barry deserves credit, too, because he's kind of the same way. They're, they're both just so even keel and just uh, Andrew Barry is, is very flatlined, too. I'm looking at the Browns roster here, and I, I just can't help but chuckle that the starting free safety, at least on the, the depth chart on the Browns official <laughs> website, is Andrew Sendejo. Uh, have you gotten a chance to interact with him at all via, you know, zoom or anything? Because I'm still convinced that his soul is somewhere on Lincoln financial field from that, uh, NFC championship game. And that dude was just horrendous when he played for the Eagles for the short amount of time he did. Uh, what has your Andrew Sandejo experience been like? Well, I can tell you that Browns fans are not laughing when you bring up that name because he has been a frequent target of criticism by Browns fans, and rightfully so. He just hasn't been able to get it done. And, you know, we haven't talked to him a whole lot. He's certainly not Mr. Personality, I, I can tell you that. Uh, but safety is an area where they really kind of took flyers, right? They, they drafted Delpit, and he was supposed to unlock a lot of this defense by playing sort of all over the place. He tears his Achilles. Now they're relying on him and now they're relying on Sandejo and Carl Joseph. Uh, so the, the guy to really keep an eye on is Ronnie Harrison. They got him for a fifth round pick right before the season started. He played 100% of the snaps last week. Sandejo's snaps dropped a little bit. So I think we're going to start seeing a little bit of a shift away from him. But for right now, Sandejo's on the field because he's smart, because he can get guys lined up. But unfortunately, after the snap, it, it hasn't been as good. You're far too kind calling him smart. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> uh, you brought up Denzel Ward earlier as like one of the three guys, and I was skeptical about Denzel Ward coming out. Uh, you know when he did, and and being as high a draft pick as he was, how has he been? You know, on this team, being kind of a, a cornerstone of this defense now, and really proving a lot of his doubters wrong. <laughs> I think there's an argument to be made that Denzel Ward was John Dorsey's best draft pick here. Uh, you know, you can make the Nick Chubb argument. Uh, you know, Baker Mayfield turns into a, a real franchise quarterback at some point, then, then that's going to trump that. But right now, you know, John Dorsey sitting at number four that year had an opportunity to go with a guy like a Bradley Chubb or, or another edge rusher. And he decided to value the cornerback. And, and he went after Denzel Ward, who, you know, an undersized guy, but but really physical. And 
when he's been healthy, he, he's been one of the best corners in, in the league, I think. You know, he's not a guy that comes up with a lot of picks, but <laughs> teams don't really like to throw his way very often right now. And, and he just kind of keeps developing and developing. And, you know, I would imagine he's going to make his, his second Pro Bowl this year uh, when he's healthy. And health has been a little bit of a concern. He's had some soft tissue issues. He had some concussions at the end of his rookie year. But when he's been able to be on the field, I, th- I think he's got a chance to become one of the best corners in football. And he's certainly after this season, probably going to get paid a lot of money. And do you think he caught a lot of, you know, flack? He being uh, Dorsey for drafting Denzel Ward at number four. Uh, I think a lot of people thought it was like a hometown pick because he did go to Ohio state. And it was one of those things where, you know, not a lot of people saw Ward being a top five pick and, you know, was that, do you think that was part of the reason he got criticized or was it strictly because, you know, a lot of people thought that he was undersized at the cornerback position at 5'11"? You know, I don't, I don't know how much Dorsey got, got criticized in the moment. I think it was a little bit of a surprise pick again. I think because of the size specifically, like it was this guy, the best corner in the draft, I think is what you're asking. Obviously really good, probably was going to be a top 10 pick anyway. But, you know, a lot of people had their eyes on maybe adding that edge rusher to put next to Miles Garrett and, and Bradley Chubb. So, uh, you know, that was really kind of the, the disconnect there. But as soon as Ward stepped on the field, you know, all of that went away because he was that good almost immediately for this team. He intercepted Ben Roethlisberger in his first game, which Browns fans, you know, that, that's going to get you a statue outside the stadium. Right. One day if you get that one pick against Roethlisberger. <laughs> so <laughs> he was he was set. But, you know, the funny thing is. The, the Ohio State part of it is Browns fans have always kind of clamored for GMs to take more Ohio State players. And in recent years, that's actually kind of aged well because you've seen guys like Michael Thomas and uh, Marshawn Lattimore, and, and you've seen Ohio State produce some real NFL talent all of a sudden. Uh, and, and so now Browns fans were happy to see John Dorsey take a guy from Ohio State who came here and became a really good football player. Yeah, it pains me that uh, Eagles, Ohio State, Malcolm Jenkins is uh, no longer here. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we talked about Miles Garrett not being on the field for the defensive side of things. Looking at this Browns defense coming into Sunday's game, going against the Eagles offense, and obviously the the big question for the Eagles offense is how will Carson Wentz perform and how will Doug Peterson kind of scheme things up. But you look at all the weapons on the offense now that everybody seems to be getting healthy for the Eagles – how do you kind of expect this Browns defense to match up, you know, with Alshon Jeffrey, Travis Fulgham, Jalen Rager, Miles Sanders, uh, Dallas Goddard, and the rest of the the weapons that the Eagles can kind of unleash on offense? That That's the thing that scares me about this game. If, if they can't get to Carson Wentz and if, you know, good Carson Wentz suddenly shows up on Sunday, uh, I, I think the Eagles are going to be able to move the football. Even if you go back to that Texans game on Sunday, you know, the Browns defense only gave up seven points. But Houston, for stretches of that game, controlled the football, controlled the clock. You know, Duke Johnson was getting big chunks of yardage on the ground. So this defense is just it's not that good. And when you take Miles Garrett out of the equation, it's even worse. So I don't know if they're going to be able to generate much of a pass rush now. I I don't trust the linebackers. I don't trust the safeties. They're going to be able to find some matchups outside of, you know, going one-on-one with Denzel Ward. They're going to find some matchups away from that uh, where they should be able to take advantage. And, uh, you know, if, if their tight ends are show up and are able to play, you know, that's a position that has always given the Browns problems for whatever reason. And they don't really have a, a great coverage linebacker. They signed Malcolm Smith, 
a good veteran addition, but you know, he's not a guy that you necessarily want to rely on, you know, snap to snap. So uh, I'm, I'm a little concerned if good Carson Wentz shows up, if Doug Peterson decides he's decides he's going to run the football. Uh, I think that's when the Eagles cause the Browns problems, man, that statement about linebackers. If you just took Browns out and inserted Eagles, it would still ring true. <laughs> um, but I mean, looking at the Eagles and, and then being, you know, a team that's kind of on the rise health wise and, and getting guys back. And you guys have kind of seen, you know, from an outsider's perspective, looking in at how tough it's been, even with them getting healthy for Carson Wentz to, you know, perform and, and get the ball out to these weapons and, and put points on the board. Does that kind of alleviate things, even though Miles Garrett's not out there, but for this defense, knowing that it hasn't been 2017, not even 2018 Carson Wentz, uh, where he struggled to, you know, put the ball in his receiver's hands and let them do the work and seems to continue to hold on to the ball way too long. And uh, that was the one thing we, we talked about too, where I was terrified that Miles Garrett was just going to, you know, get strip sack after strip sack on Carson Wentz this weekend. Um, but how much, you know, there's still a lot of pressure on the Browns defense, I'd say, but how much, you know, is it knowing that it's not, you know, MVP form Carson Wentz playing right now? I mean, that's big, obviously. Um, it, you know, if, if you're going against a guy that who's questioning himself, who isn't the guy that he was a few years ago, uh, you, you feel really good about that. But this defense, you know, unfortunately, ha- has really been able to make some other guys look good. And, you know, Joe Burrow's having a great rookie year, so maybe he's a bad example. But he has just – he he's lit up the Browns when he's played them, even though the Browns won both of those games. Uh, the, the only quarterback who really – struggled to have success against this team was Dwayne Haskins. And that, that's because he was basically just throwing the ball to Brown's defenders. Now, if Carson Wentz does that, uh, the Browns are going to take advantage of it, but it, I'm just nervous about the fact that this defense really just doesn't offer much resistance against people. They're very turnover heavy. So, you know, this might be kind of what they're looking for. They, they were, they're boomer bust. So if Carson's turning the ball over, that's when the Browns defense is going to look good and maybe be able to win this game for them. But but that's what it's going to take. And looking at the flip side of things, you know, you, you talked about the, the pass rush kind of being Baker's kryptonite, but with this Browns offense being so run heavy and the Eagles, you know, it, it gets talked about how good of a run-stopping defense they are, but the past couple of weeks they've looked super pedestrian. I mean, they gave up over 150 yards on the ground to the New York Giants without Saquon, so that's <clears throat> concerning to me. Um, and now they, they get a matchup and a date with Nick Chubb and, and Kareem Hunt, which terrifies me beyond belief. How much do you think, you know, those two can do against, you know, the likes of Fletcher Cox, Javon Hargrave, and the rest of the Eagles defensive line? It's it's kind of weird to say this about a Browns offense, but I, I really believe they're built to run the football against anybody. I, I really, I don't know that there's a defense that could just completely shut them down. There might come a game where, you know, look against the Steelers, they didn't put up a ton of yards, but that's because they were trailing big almost the entire game. And also Nick Chubb was out of that game. Uh, but when this team is whole, when they have those two backs, and when they have their right guard, Wyatt Teller, who is really valuable in the run game for his ability to pull, and, and he's having one of the best seasons of any right guard in the NFL right now, uh, especially as a run blocker, they're able to kind of do what they want to in the run game. So I, I think they're built to run the ball against any defense, but at some point, Baker Mayfield's going to have to make a throw. And, and again, this is the this is the area that concerns me when he when he's had pressure. 
that, that's when he starts to look a guy look like a guy who's not six foot four. He starts to look like a guy who's six foot one and maybe can't see everything in front of him and, and panics a little bit and leaves the pocket. And uh, th- th- that's kind of when bad things happen for him. So I, I really want to see how he responds in this game. But I, I have no doubt the Browns should be able to run the football against this team. And the other thing is, you know, I know the Eagles have been vulnerable to end arounds and, and things like that as well. A big chunk of their rushing yardage against has come from those. So uh, the Browns aren't afraid to hand the ball off to Jarvis Landry on an end around. Or you know, maybe we'll see Donovan Peoples-Jones get the ball like that, too. So what you're saying is the pass rush, if it gets in Baker's face, is he becomes Hulu has live sports Baker Mayfield. <laughs> yes, in, in some ways, definitely. How how many Browns fans get annoyed with the amount of commercials that he does? Well, it goes from week to week. So, uh, you know, after the Pittsburgh game, nobody wanted to see an at-home with Baker Mayfield <laughs> commercial. But after the, after the Cincinnati game, I think they were going to YouTube to, to watch as many of them as they could. So... I think it just depends on how Baker's playing at any given moment. And with Odell being out, obviously the guy that's kind of stepped into the limelight, especially for, you know, fantasy football players and and everything like that has been Rashard Higgins. And then Donovan Peoples-Jones is another guy. How much of, you know, they kind of stepped up since Odell's injury and, and how much do you kind of expect them to be involved in the game plan, you know, depending on who Darius Slay gets his matchup against? Yeah, I mean, Peoples-Jones has been pretty quiet uh, since he made that catch against Cincinnati. He did have a big catch against Houston, uh, but he, you know, he's been pretty quiet. He's still very much a work in progress. The thing about Higgins is him and Baker have this really weird, like, relationship. They're just always on the same page. It seems like Baker always knows where he's going to be. And we saw it on Sunday that the Browns had a third and 18. It looked like Houston was maybe going to get the ball back in good field position, and Baker makes his best throw of the day to Rashard Higgins. So there's just something between those two where they have this great connection. Now, you know, the thing about this is Rashard is now kind of your number two. And it's a little different when you're the number two, as opposed to being, you know, the the third or fourth guy going against, you know, linebackers or a safety or so when you've got the number two corner on you, it's just a little bit different when teams are preparing for you like that. But uh, he's really, if you're looking at those two guys, keep an eye out for Higgins because he's kind of the guy that can be, that safety valve for Mayfield that he might need. And it's so strange to say, but Darius Slay does not have an interception this year in an Eagles uniform. If the, <laughs> if the Eagles pass rush does end up getting to Baker Mayfield and, and kind of rattle him a little bit, is this an opportunity where, you know, we could see Darius Slay be a big benefactor of those struggles when Baker Mayfield faces a, a tough pass rush? Yeah, for sure. Because that's when Baker starts to turn the ball over. Uh, he, he's been really good taking care of the football recently, but when he turns the football over, it's usually because of pressure. Uh, you know, going back to their win over Indianapolis, he had a great first half, and then Indianapolis kind of got their pass rush going, and, and he turned the ball over a couple times. You know, Pittsburgh, we know about their pass rush, turns the ball over in that game twice in the first half. So uh, when when Baker turns the ball over, it, it can usually be traced back to pressure, and, and the difference in his numbers when you kind of look under pressure and kept clean, they're, they're really stark. There's a clear difference when teams are getting after him. If you had to pick uh, an X factor for this Browns team, whether it's on offense, defense, or special teams, uh, to kind of, you know, be the guy that could change things for the better for the Browns in this game and, and potentially be the guy that, uh, you know, helps them end up winning this one, who would you say is kind of the guy to watch for in this one? I'm going to say a guy that I've mentioned a, a couple of times. Uh, I'm going to go with Ronnie Harrison. 
Um, he's, like I said, he's been getting more playing time. I think they're relying on him. And they use him in different ways. So you'll see him rush. You'll see him rush Carson Wentz a little bit. Uh, you'll see him drop back and play some free safety. You'll see him line up in the slot. He's a guy from Alabama that just kind of has a nose for the football. It, it's really uncanny how he can get his hands on the football. Now, he needs to catch it. He's, he's only caught one of them. It turned into a pick six. But uh, he, he's a guy that has a nose for the football, can get after the quarterback. Last week, he had a, it looked like he had a sack on Deshaun Watson, but then Watson made one of those kind of Superman plays with, with Harrison hanging onto his ankle. Uh, so uh, I'm going to go with him. They need to find somebody that can get in the backfield and, and harass Wentz into a bad throw. And so he, he'll either be the guy that does that or be the guy on the other side that can be a beneficiary of that. Do Browns fans still think they won the Carson Wentz trade? <laughs> I think this year, with the way Wentz has played, <laughs> possibly. Uh, you know, that's one of those things that I don't know. If, it, it almost feels like you're on one side or the other and changing anyone's minds. <laughs> it's it's, it's kind of like politics here. It's it, so it was strange. either a, it was either a great trade by Sashi Brown or it was a disaster. Yeah, because the way I think we look at it here, you know, South Jersey, Philly, you know, Eagles fans and everything is without Carson Wentz in 2017 doing what he did, we don't win the Super Bowl. So right. ultimately, I think the Eagles ended up winning the trade. Um, but I agree. It, it's definitely it feels like one of those things where it's like you're either on one side of it as it was great or the other side where it was absolutely a, a disaster. And, and you're not you're not changing sides. No no tweet or yeah. argument or anything is, is going to convince you otherwise. Absolutely, Dan. This has been a blast. Let everybody know uh, where they can check you out on social media and read all your stuff when it comes to yeah. uh, the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, for sure. Uh, articles on Cleveland.com/slash/browns. So that's pretty easy. And then if they want to find me on Twitter, it's Dan underscore L A B B E. Dan, I appreciate you taking time. Uh, out of your day, taking time away from chasing around two kids in your free time. <laughs> and uh, hopefully, you know, we have an exciting game on Sunday to enjoy. And one way or another, we're going to have uh, a lot of things to talk about if the Browns win <laughs> or if the Eagles win. So, uh, again, thanks for your time. And uh, I'm sure we'll be talking soon. For sure. Thanks for having me. All right. So there you have it, Eagles fans. Miles Garrett not playing in this game is a big deal in terms of Carson Wentz finding success, in terms of this Eagles team moving the football down the field, putting points up, and hopefully coming away with a must-win on this 2020 season. Uh, you know, you got to be able to beat Baker Mayfield. He hasn't been all that this year, and uh, it's going to come down to Jim Schwartz showing up and, and putting together a solid game plan, and then, uh, you know, Carson Wentz being able to figure it out and moving the ball down the field. That's what it's going to come down to. So hopefully we're talking about an Eagles win next week. Uh, big shout out to our sponsor here, Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Make sure you guys check out manscaped.com, promo code USP at checkout. You're going to get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. And of course, episode would not have been possible without the one, the only, Dan Lab. Make sure you guys are following him on Twitter and everything he does. Cleveland Browns for Cleveland.com. And make sure you guys are checking us out on social media, Twitter and Instagram at UndergroundPHI. You can follow me on Twitter at KBIZZL311. 
Check out the website, undergroundsportsphiladelphia.com. Ton of written content coming out over the next couple of weeks. And make sure you guys are subscribed to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. And if it is Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review. Let us know how you're feeling about this Eagles-Browns game. You know, do you have confidence that the Eagles will, you know, come out on top? Five stars only because we have standards. We know you do too, and we know they're five stars. You can also check us out on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, the TuneIn app, iHeartRadio, Radio.com, wherever you get your podcasts, we are there. And uh, we'll be back next week getting ready for uh, another must-win game as that's what it's going to come down to for this Eagles team following that loss to the Giants is just winning and stacking wins and and coming out on top each and every week if they want to be able to make the playoffs. And it doesn't get any easier next week because following the Browns, the Eagles are back at home. Monday night football for the world to see against Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. It's going to be a doozy. Uh, But as always, guys, thank you guys for tuning in uh, for another edition of Eagles Enemies right here on Underground Sports Philadelphia. Again, big thank you to Dan Lab for joining us this week to break down the Cleveland Browns matchup. And as they always say, let's go Birds.